I'm proud to announce that this week's episode of the Rad Podcast has a new Radvertiser on board. Uh, this week's episode is presented by Elite Pool Tile Cleaning. If you are a, a fan of the podcast, you would remember a couple of episodes ago, I had Darren on to discuss the uh, facilitation of the wildfire relief that we did for the campfire in Butte County. Uh, Darren was uh, essential in getting the trucks facilitated and the volunteers going, and, and uh, I had the pleasure to ride up with him and uh, deliver the goods up to uh, Chico for those in need. But now he's actually joining forces with the Radvertising Army. And Darren is the owner of Elite Pool Tile Cleaning. And if you are not aware of what he does, most people don't call Elite Pool Tile Cleaning because they don't even know that the service is available. Despite their 13 years of experience with the greater Sacramento area, once you're booked, Elite cleans the tile using environmentally safe glass beads at a low air pressure. The calcium buildup is destroyed, leaving the tile surface undamaged and beautiful again. And when Elite Pool Tile Cleaning is done, you're good to swim in your beautifully clean pool right away. At the average cost of $5 per foot, it's a lot less expensive than replacing your tile, something too many pool owners have felt forced to do. So head over to ElitePoolTileCleaning.com and while there, check out the amazing before and after pics. Then get your appointment for a free estimate scheduled online or by calling 916-714-POOL. That's 916-714-POOL. Now is the time to get your pool swim weather ready. Just a few hours this winter will make it beautiful for years to come. ElitePoolTileCleaning.com that's ElitePoolTileCleaning.com. And also brought to you by Tech2U. Tech2U strives to deliver superior technical services from professional and friendly staff while maintaining their principles of credibility, accountability, and customer service as they grow. With locations all over Northern California, Southern California, and Las Vegas, Tech2U provides in-shop repair, mobile services for residential and business, and remote service provided online. Tech2U repairs everything ranging from printers, scanners, screen repair, motherboards, keyboards, touchpads. They'll even recycle electronics. Visit www tech2u.com that's tech the number two u.com or call 888-340-8324 that's 888-340-8324 for tech2u the rad Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rad Podcast. I'm producer Brandon from the Rad Radio Show. And this week's, uh, I've got a very special guest who uh, called in via Skype because he's actually a traveling nurse, but he's also a published author. Um, if you're familiar with the the Rad Radio Show and you've been listening in the last month or so, you've probably heard of Kit Kat, as Rob has called him. Uh, his name is actually Ankit Shukla, and he is a published author who wrote the book called I Love You, Apu, Defending a Stereotype. Uh, this was a book in response to a documentary he saw called The Problem with Apu. Now, if you're not familiar with Apu, he's actually a character from The Simpsons um, who has recently been removed from the show entirely because they thought uh, there was enough people that thought that he was uh, – they were being racially insensitive – to this particular character. Of course, you know, Apu is the uh, convenience store owning guy who's got a lot of depth to his character, but um, at face value, it could be offensive to uh, some people. So um, he wrote a book all about it and his view on uh, the character Apu, but he's also a very interesting individual. Uh, He reached out to us uh, about a week ago and wanted to know if I would be a part of his next book, which he he's actually published four books in total. And we'll talk about a lot of that, about why he became an author, what he writes about. Um, and we'll also talk about how he became a, a, a traveling nurse. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of background on 
on Ankit. Uh, he was born in India. He moved with his parents to Sparks, Nevada, when he was only one year old. Uh, his parents were hardworking immigrants who wanted a better life for their two sons, and they succeeded. Ankit attended Sparks High School and then received his bachelor's degree in nursing from the University of Nevada, Reno. Go Wolfpack! After college, Ankit left Nevada to explore other areas of the country. He started to travel travel nursing in 2010, which he still does to this day. Uh, having lived in eight states, he has lived life, learned from life, and has had several careers in businesses. Ankit has had a gnawing to put what he has learned in life into writing, and here it is on his books. He talks about this week in this week's episode. Um, so he, we'll talk about him and his life and how he became to be an author and a traveling nurse. Um, and then the last portion of the interview is actually, uh, he's actually interviewing me for his upcoming project about, uh, the LGBTQ community and about people that are more in the limelight and, and, and how they're perceived by the public. And, uh, you know what? I'm not going to spoil the interview for you. So enjoy. And just a reminder, we were interviewing via Skype. So if it sounds a little wonky and it doesn't sound like the same old studio quality that you're used to here, um, that's why. So hopefully it doesn't take away too much from the interview. I had a really good time getting to know Ankit, and I hope you do too. Enjoy. And Kit, thank you for joining me. Um, uh, as many people will actually notice right away is that you're actually not in here with the studio with me. Um, you're actually on the other side of the country, in fact. Where are you Where are you calling from? Yeah, I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm here for a few months because I'm a traveling nurse, so I move around every few months, my wife and I, and we just work in certain locations for a few months at a time. Uh, various healthcare facilities, and we help out during critical staffing needs. So that's why currently I'm in Atlanta. Um, yeah, I'm just helping out over here. And how old are you, Ankit? Oh man, I, oh, I'm 35. 35. Turned, thir- oh. turned 35 last week. Oh, happy belated birthday! Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I know you signed your your copy of your book. I love a poo um, to your fellow millennial. Um, mm-hmm. Which thank you by the way for signing my copy. Of course. Um, and uh, so, so, but you're not the typical millennial. I mean, I, coming from the not so typical millennial, mm-hmm. not many people our age are uh, running radio shows and and being a traveling nurse while also moonlighting as a as a published author. Which, mm-hmm. um, so let's start with the the traveling nurse thing. Is that something that you always knew you wanted to do? Yeah, I think it was late high school. I always wanted to get into healthcare, or at least late in high school I did. I thought I just saw a lot of opportunity. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor or any of that. I felt like nursing would be a good fit as far as like getting into the healthcare field, and it would open up my options later on in case I did want to do something else. But then as I went along, I noticed that there was a lot more patient contact in nursing, which versus other more advanced practitioners, in fact, advanced practice clinicians, however you say it, it was a lot more dealing with insurance companies and just dealing with a lot of behind the scenes nonsense. Pushing the papers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and not saying that what they do isn't just as important. I mean, we all play a vital role in the patient care, but I just felt like with nursing, there was a lot more direct patient care. There were obviously aren't a lot of men in the nursing field, so there was always hesitancy there. But hesitant on I, your part, but like you you didn't want to be mocked or something, or a little bit. Okay, and 
you know, so I, but I, I mean, it, it didn't bother me too much, obviously not enough to keep me from going into the profession. Of course. So, but yeah, th- that certainly, it weighed on me a little bit and it, it did more so because at that time I was a young kid. I was, a, you know, I wasn't as confident then. And, you know, I was, I kind of let things get to me a little bit more as we tend to do when we're younger. Mm-hmm. But I went through school and actually pretty early in my, tra- my, when I decided to be a nurse, I did want to be a traveling nurse because it gave me the opportunity to travel. As a kid, I barely traveled anywhere. I mean, besides, cause I, and by the way, I grew, I grew up in Sparks, so okay, which is yeah. right, right outside of Reno. Yeah. It- so I went to... I went to UNR. Is that how you became privy to the Rad Radio Show? Just growing up in yeah. in Sparks? Yep, I sure did. And I, of course, I heard about it a lot, and then I eventually caught on. And and you went to nursing I, school at UNR. You said, "Yep, I did. Oh, I did." That's awesome. Yeah. What year did you graduate? Uh, nursing school, two thousand six. Awesome. Yeah, that's great, yeah. man. Well, so so obviously traveling, traveling while also being able to enjoy your career is very appealing, especially to those of us that don't get to travel a lot growing up. Um, mm-hmm. How did you learn about travel, travel nursing, and and how did that come about? Sure, I, I had a couple cousins that were already nurses, so they told me about it, and then so I definitely kept it in the back of my mind. I knew it was something I was going to do, and then a lot of times when I told people that I was going into the nursing field, they were kind of familiar with travel nursing. They're like, Hey, are you going to do that someday? I said, yeah, probably. And then once I got into nursing school, I learned more and more about it. And I kind of, I don't know, Brandon, like I, I was planning on finishing nursing school and then living in Reno for a couple of years and then moving on. But I was, there was just a lot going on, some good, some bad things. And I just, I got to the point where I was in my last semester of nursing school and I just felt like I had to get out of Reno. Yeah, I'd been there my whole life. I, like I said, I barely, I went to, I visited India once and then besides like California and maybe a couple other random places once or twice, I really didn't travel anywhere. And I just felt like I needed to get out. And so I just pretty much, I, I remember like vividly, like spring break was coming up my last semester in nursing school. I, I literally started calling hospitals around the country and asking them, hey, can I come fly out there for interviews? And I landed in um, Mass General in Boston. Mm-hmm. Like I got a cup. I don't know what what appealed me, what appealed to me about Boston in particular. It just seemed like a really cool city. So I interviewed at it. I called up a couple of hospitals out there. And they agreed to have an interview with me during um, spring break. I think they were flattered by the whole gesture of me even willing to come out there just for an interview. Oh, yeah. That's not very, knowing. very ambitious. Yeah. So, I mean, they had no idea. I mean, I, I had no idea if they would take me or not, but I think they were certainly flattered and, and impressed that I was making the, willing to make that journey out there. So I went out there, and I really enjoyed the city. I liked I just like the big city atmosphere. I like riding the subways and just the whole atmosphere of Boston. It was just so different. And I, I interviewed at Mass General and then I interviewed at the Children's Hospital. Um, I ultimately getting got offered a job at Mass General, so that's where I ended up working after nursing school. Oh, that's fantastic! So I went out there. My my mom helped me uh, drive out there and get settled settled and everything. You drove all the way out there from Sparks. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. 
That's why oh, you yeah. had to move all your stuff out there. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, so we, yeah, packed up our stuff and yeah, we drove out to Boston. And funny thing is I kind of have a funny story going out there if you don't mind me telling it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, um, so we, we stayed the night in Buffalo and, um, that's kind of upstate New York and it, we were hearing some other people at, at our hotel talking about, um, Oh my God, Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. So it was only 20 minutes up north or in some direction. So we said, Hey, let's kind of check it out for a couple of hours. So we did. And we heard that the Canadian side was the Canadian side of the falls are a lot more beautiful than the U S or American side. But my mom didn't have her passport or any of her papers with her. So we said, well, we'll just see it from the American side. That's fine. And then, and this is so weird. I don't know how this ended up happening, but, but we drove up to this booth and it ended up being like a international kind of gateway type thing or an, a, a basically an international booth that would take me into Canada. And when I got there, I said, Hey, listen, I don't want to go into Canada. I want to stay on the U S side. And the guy told me to take this road up ahead and it'll keep me, it'll turn around and keep me on the U S side. So I did. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I went about my business, I, and then we eventually got to the falls. We looked out, and uh, we and they were just absolutely gorgeous. And this whole time, we're thinking, "Dang, I mean, the falls are this gorgeous on the U.S. side. <laughs> I mean, I can we can only imagine what it's like on the Canadian side, right? Right, right. So, so whatever. We look at them for a little while, and then we start driving, and we see some Canadian flags and things like that, which whatever. We didn't think much of it because it's on the U S Canadian border, whatever. Yeah. But then eventually we kind of got lost and we stopped at this uh, storefront and we asked the lady how we get to this certain highway. And she said, Oh, you have to cross the border first. And we're like, the border, what? And I'm, and we're just like, okay, are we in Canada right now? I mean, this is like you people hearing the story probably think I'm a Nimrod. Like, how do you know you're not in a different country? And I was like, well, it's kind of easier than you think. Yeah, <laughs> but, you just so, kind of cross the border there. No big deal. Yeah, but you know, I wasn't so worried about myself, more so my mom. But we eventually got to the border. The guy was the guy was a total ass. Am I allowed to cuss on this show? Yeah, absolutely. Or, okay, cool. So, um, so yeah, we uh, we get to the border. The guy's asking me all these questions and just being a total ass. And he asked me why my car was loaded, and I explained to him. You know, well, hey, I'm from Nevada. I'm moving out to Boston. He's like, rah, rah. he was just being, and you know, again, he was just being a total dick, playing this total power trip. And I get it. I get it. You got to be a little, you know, I'm not per se blaming him for being curious, but you know, you don't have to be a total jerk about it either, right? Yeah. So he was, was this like a Border Patrol officer yeah, exactly. that was thinking that you were trying to break into Canada? Um, or pro- probably break back into the oh, u.s i don't know what he was thinking yeah. yeah i mean sure so i mean i get you got to be a little curious and a little firm but and the guy was a total jerk but we total we give him our ids and i'm like i don't have i don't have time to check i don't have all day to check these mm-hmm. i said okay well whatever i mean you can look up our information you know sorry we <laughs> were kind of given wrong directions <laughs> and um so anyways eventually he let us back in and we everything was fine but that was just kind of a funny story that kind of a funny detour 
that well, happened to us. Hey, you got you got it's it was a road trip of your life, and it was with your mom, and you know, obviously you're protective of your mom, but it's, but also this is one of those stories you could tell forever, and and you actually met a rude Canadian, which I'm very surprised about. Exactly, and now I don't know, I don't know if he was Canadian or American, because he, um. I don't know because I mean it was going back into the U.S. So I'm assuming he was American. Mm-hmm. He was, I, I, but I have no idea. But yeah. actually, Brandon, now that you brought that up, you would not believe those uh, those border patrol officers or the immigrant officers in uh, Canada. They are no joke, man. Really? They will grill. They will grill you. Like I went to Vancouver a few years, few years back, and the guys just kind of looking at me like a. You know, I don't know, like I got something on my forehead and I'm he's like, well, you're coming to Canada just to visit. I said, yeah, is that is that a, is that a problem? But no, they they grill the hell out of you out there in Canada They're They don't play around there. <laughs> well, I wonder how much of that. And, you know, you do mention that your your family is are, are immigrants um, mm-hmm. from India, right? Yes. Yes. And you so you were born in America or you were born in India and brought over when you were a year old. Yep. Yeah. So I was, um, yeah, I was born in India, but yeah, my parents immigrated when I was a year old. So, I mean, this is just something that I don't experience on a daily basis because I was born in America. I I don't appear to be foreign or anything, but you are red blooded American pretty practically. Um, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure you deal with a lot of prejudice, um, especially in these types of situations when you're at some sort of security check or anything. Is this like, when you were going to Vancouver, was that the only time that you really experienced that? Or is that something that you experience more commonly, especially since you're a traveling nurse? Sure. You know, I've, for the most part, I haven't experienced anything major. Um, post 9-11, I mean, the, I kind of got randomly searched more often. Uh, I mean, I, I put randomly in quotes because I don't really know if it was random. Yeah, right. But, but um no, not I would say nothing too bad. Uh, yeah, not nothing too too severe. Not more than I don't. I from what people the stories I've heard, mm-hmm. not too much more than anyone else. Well, that's good, and I, I hope not. Especially since you know we we shouldn't live in a world like that, anyways, where we're so mm-hmm. quick to be so prejudiced. But at the same time, you're you're a nurse, and you're somebody that's providing care for a lot of people. So hopefully, you mm-hmm. don't get too much of an like. Do you have special credentials as a traveling nurse so that people kind of wave you through a little bit quicker, or or is it just kind of the same as if you were just a regular uh, traveling citizen? Sure, sure, and and actually, like. Um, uh, actually, now I know what you're asking me. Act- actually, with my travel nursing career, we actually just drive everywhere oh, to okay. different assignments. Yeah, because because we need cars at our location, so um, we we just drive and take our own cars with us. So you drove all the way out to Atlanta from mm-hmm. from your home base now, which is actually in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, before Colorado, we were in L.A. So I mean, over the past decade, I've just gotten used to doing long drives. I probably, I mean, I've literally i mean i've worked 12 plus hour shifts and then you know drove you know nine ten hours right afterwards oh my god because i've gotten used to it it's uh but yeah i i enjoy it and I, I enjoy road trips uh you know it's so much easier than getting on a plane and dealing with that whole hassle it's nice just being able to pack up your car with whatever you need and just, 
and then just going, you know, and kind of seeing the sights kind of as forces, you go. Kind of forces you to slow down a little bit and, and not necessarily rush too much because mm-hmm. you know, when you're traveling by plane, it's always like it's always a hassle getting from here to there. Mm-hmm. But you're on your own time when you're traveling on uh, by car. So I totally get that. Definitely. And I don't even remember all the airline rules these days. Uh, I don't even. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy. <laughs> They're ever changing now. Next, uh, starting next year, I think we're gonna have to have actual uh, new uh, driver's license. I don't know if this is. Oh, this is a this is a federal thing because if you want to travel anywhere, you got to have a special ID called a real ID. I'm, I don't know if you've heard about this yet, mm-hmm. um, but it's basically they're they're putting these new chips in there, similar to that they have the ATM cards, um, mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to travel anywhere without it. Um, so they're changing always, you know, and and I think that uh, you're in a good position where you don't necessarily have to worry about that too much. Uh, so when did you, uh, when so you said you, you mentioned you're married, when did you meet your wife? Yeah, so um, so after some time in Boston and then I moved some more, I moved to Arizona and then I got, got into the dialysis field. Um, so that's my specialty now. Um, so dialysis for people with kidney failure and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so shortly after that is when I started travel nursing. I started travel nursing in 2010. Um, did my first assignment in Colorado. That's when I fell in love with that with the state. And then I did my second assignment assignment in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that's where I ultimately met my future wife. She was a staff nurse there, and I came in there as a traveling nurse. So um, we weren't dating at the time. We um, we were just friends, and then we kept in touch after I moved on to my other travel assignments and eventually we started dating and you know I continued to do the whole travel nursing thing while we were dating and she was still living in New Mexico I was living in Nebraska and funny thing is that's when I was living in Nebraska like North Platte and she was in Santa Fe on weekends that I was off I was leaving work on Friday I would drive nine hours to Santa Fe get there late, late Friday night, and then I would stay there Saturday and then leave Sunday. So this was every other weekend, and we had just started dating. So, um, And then when I finished up in Nebraska, you know, you you just knew, like, uh, based on past relationships, and I just knew that she was the perfect one at that point. I I eventually proposed, you know, uh, I proposed in Vegas. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, you know at the um, do you know the uh, Venetian the um, gondola ride? Oh yeah, the gondola. Yeah, so it was on there. Very and romantic. Then, yeah, it was. I, you know, I didn't really give her an option. I basically told her, "You either say <laughs> yes, or I'm going to push you into the water." No. <laughs> Fortunately, that yeah. water is only two feet deep, so I don't think <laughs> she would have been hurt. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, though, man. Yeah. So yeah. So we. And then, you know, eventually she met the whole, you know, the family, my mom and dad. And because we were actually on our way to Reno um, because my parents still live out there. So we were driving from Santa Fe. We were staying one night in Las Vegas and then we were headed to Reno. And then, you know, my mom met her and my mom fell in love with her, too. That's good. So which is is always a good thing. That's awesome. And yeah, so but I was still a traveling nurse and she was still a staff nurse in Santa Fe. So. Um, I kept traveling. I went to New Jersey, so it was a little hard being away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to give up travel nursing because eventually, you know, we weren't planning on settling in Santa Fe, and eventually, she wanted to start travel nursing with me. So, but um, after New Jersey, I went to Colorado, which is the next state over, or actually the next, the state right above mm-hmm. New Mexico. So we 
we're closer there. And at this time, we already had planned our wedding date and everything. So we were doing a lot of stuff long distance because we planned to have our wedding in Reno since my parents lived there already and everybody else would have to travel anyway, no matter what the location. So we had our wedding in Atlantis at the Atlantis Casino in Reno. Nice. And we were doing a lot of stuff long distance. And it was really hard. I mean, planning a wedding is hard enough anyway. And doing it all from long distance is even harder. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so we did a lot of things by phone. Whenever we would go into town, we would try to get as much done as possible. And then my parents helped us a little bit, too, with kind of little things that they could. And eventually, I think uh, June 30th, then this was 2012, we got married, you know, had our honeymoon. And then luckily, I was able to find some travel nursing positions in New Mexico. So we stayed. We were able to stay there together for about a year. And then she started travel nursing with me. Oh, right on. And we've been travel nursing together ever since. That's great. Yeah. So how long um, do you usually stay in each each job or each location until you move on to the next one? And what, what makes you decide to move on to the next place? Is it just the demand that that's needed in another hospital or another location? Uh, yeah, exactly. So usually the contracts are three months each. And then at that point, you can decide to stay longer in that location if they need you, or you can move on somewhere else based on what you want. Um, you're not allowed to really stay in one location more than a year, or actually up to, yeah, basically longer than a year. Otherwise, you're not considered a traveler, traveler anymore, and you kind of lose a lot of your benefits that you get from travel nursing. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but yeah, that's how it works. If you want to stay longer, you can. Um, sometimes we have and sometimes not. Sometimes we like to just move on. Um, like, for example, here in Atlanta, we're going to probably stay about six months total because we signed another contract. Um, and, yeah, it's basically based on demands. Like uh, we have an agency that we work with, and we strictly do dialysis. So we only go to dialysis facilities or hospitals that do dialysis. And our recruiter and agency let us know what, availabilities there are where the critical needs are and then we just let them know where we want to go and they submit us and we usually you know try for two or three different places in case one gets filled up already mm -hmm. but we but yeah if um if we want to go to a location and they accept us there then we end up that's where we end up going oh, that's awesome that's yeah. not that must be nice to have that flexibility especially if you want to get a taste for a different town, but you also get to meet so many different types of people and you would have never known that there were nice people in Atlanta had your, unless your job had landed you there. Right. Oh, absolutely. And the great thing is you're there for several months and you're living there, you're shopping there, you're paying bills there. So you're kind of ingrained in the society or in the community. So mm -hmm. you're not just really getting a romantic version of the place that you would get solely from traveling you're you kind of get a feel of what it would be like to live there so if in case a lot of travel nurses i mean they decide where they want to live like they've tried based on where their assignments were they went to a location and they said hey this place is really kind of cool i actually might stay here full time you know eventually that's how i decided to buy our home in colorado but you know that's you know that, that that's how it works out a lot of the time it worked out that way for us and a lot of other people as well well, it sounds like a great career that you have, and it doesn't sound like there's any any slowing down um, for the need of your profession. So, um, mm -hmm. that that's awesome. Um, but what we're really uh, what really connected us was when you approached the Rad Radio Show 
um, I think it was a, a two or three months ago. I'm not quite sure on the math mm-hmm. there. Um, but you were work currently at, at that time you were working at on a new book called I Love You a Pooh. Um, mm-hmm. based on the, uh, the documentary that you watched, uh, called the problem with the poo. Um, mm-hmm. and this isn't, this actually isn't your first book. You, you, mm-hmm. You're an author of three other books, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what, so what got you into wanting to be an author on top of everything else? I mean, do you ever actually take time to relax? Um, not so much. And <laughs> writing can be relaxing for me too, but I, I bet, you know, but, um, you know, I, as a kid, I would always like writing poetry and short stories. Um, and I always thought that I could get into writing as a career. When I got older, I just didn't really know how I would do it. I guess, you know, I could have all, always gone to journalism school. I'm not sure why I didn't, but, eh, you know, no harm, no foul. I don't honestly don't even know if I would like that career, mm-hmm. but who knows, maybe I would. Um, but, you know, eventually life, life takes over and, you have to think about, okay, how am I going to make a living when I get older? Mm-hmm. And eventually I went into the healthcare field, but I always had something in the back of my head, you know, saying that, hey, you know, you, you should be a writer. And I would try writing very different project at, projects at various times throughout my life. I just didn't get them done. I don't know if I just didn't have the passion for that particular thing or or maybe I was busy or just not motivated at the time, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I could just never get a project finished. Um, For example, I think when I was a brand new nurse, I was actually working on a play that was, you know, the new grad nurse, basically uh, the experience of a new nurse in a hospital, which is big. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I I should actually maybe revisit that. (laughs) I should have written it at that time because I would have more, uh, you know, real time experience, but now, but that's a, maybe I'll revisit that one again, but um, you know, I, I just continue to gain a lot more life experience just through moving and meeting a lot of people, reading a lot, meeting various mentors, and I figured I could write like a kind of an educational or motivational book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I had anything severe happen to me in my life where it would, uh, where I had to like overcome like some really big obstacle. But, you know, I, I had my ups and downs along the ways, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about various critical thinking skills and just different things that I – just different life skills and thought processes that I felt I could share with people. So I wrote my first book back – this was like back in 2013, and I was really motivated to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called, you know, Don't Live the Good Life, Live the Better Life. I've got my copy and, right here. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Who's that handsome devil? I'm talking about the guy holding the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, so it, it was a fun book to write. And I, when I read through it now, I still, you know, definitely agree with a lot the stuff that I put in there. So I'm really proud of it. And, you know, I, I just, I compiled this book pretty fast because I was pretty motivated to write it. I was working a night job at the time out in Albuquerque and during the day I was writing this book. So it only actually took me a month or two to write it. Wow. And I self-published it because I didn't have any publishing contracts at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to self-publish. The only thing with that is you have to fit the bill yourself. Right. Um, and it can, there's better options now for self-publishing, but back then I was not aware of them or they just didn't exist. So, you know, certainly you invest a pretty penny back then. Uh, you know, back in the old days mm-hmm. when you self-published something. <laughs> back so, in the um, 2013. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I was once a young pup like you, Brandon. Yes, yes. You know. Hey, you're not that but, much older than me. You got like three years on me. 
Oh man. <laughs> when did you graduate high school? Uh, 2005? 2004. Yeah. Oh, 2004. So okay. when you were graduating or going to, uh, nursing school, I was just finishing. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, and eventually, and the thing is, I thought this book would like basically catapult me because even though books are so common now with the advent of eBooks, people are still pretty stunned when they hear that you're an author. They're like, Whoa, really? You're an author. You like write books. Mm -hmm. I said, yep. You can but, put so, thoughts together and make chapters and, and exactly. yeah, no, it, <laughs> exactly. is, it, it is impressive. I mean, especially at your age, um, not many people are, are out there pub publicizing multiple books and sure. the, the, uh, just, just to be able to have that type of, uh, uh, not brain power, what I'm saying, like the attention span to sit down and actually do it is, is rare. And I think, especially with what, what type of the, the other books that you have, um, are based on your, your time as a healthcare worker. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also, I, I don't know, is, is going global, the life of a traveling nurse, is that your third publication or is that your second? Uh, second. Okay. Second. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited to read them. I just haven't had the time to read the three previous, but I have read I Love You a Pooh. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just so compelling and so such a perfect timing for it as well um, to get somebody's perspective that it's, that's so closely tied to or related to the culture uh, that mm -hmm. surrounds a poo. So um, I actually, if you don't mind, I actually have a, a, a question that a, a prod head has actually submitted to the show, but, um, since I don't, I don't think she even knew that I was going to be interviewing an author like yourself. So if you don't mind, if I can read it and maybe you can give her some advice as to, to, uh, how to become an author. Um, I'll just uh, read it here if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, she's, uh, her name is Kate and she says that I've been wanting to write a book for a few months now and I haven't had the motive, uh, motivation to start because I'm not sure how. I noticed that you have a few maggots who write books. I'm sure she's referring to you. Um, and I really want to know how. The only issue that is holding me back is that my idea for this book is about my friend. It would be through my perspective and experience. Would I have to do anything legally because it would be about my friend? Or is that what the publisher is for? I can really see this turning into something big, and I'm hoping to, uh, it can make some sense. And uh, thank you for your help. So is, do you have any advice for somebody who's wanting to write a book, first of all, for the first time? And uh, if she's going to write about somebody else, should she like you know change the name? How would she go about that legally? Is that something that she'd deal with with the publisher? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the legal aspects, yeah, if you're going to write about somebody in particular and use their name, I would definitely get their permission, probably even something in writing that says it's okay for you to uh, tell the story about them. Is that what you do uh, in, in any of your books? Um, like, do you have any interviews in, in your healthcare uh, based books that, that do you like talk about certain people and ha is that what you have done? Uh, yeah. So my book that's crossing the bedside, mm -hmm. that's called crossing the bedside. That's actually a compilation of various stories from different healthcare workers. So I reached out to healthcare workers directly that I knew or heard of. And they emailed me back saying, yeah, yeah, here's my story. Go ahead and put it in there. And I, and I also made it clear to them, listen, just for your safety and privacy, um, and especially considering it's healthcare and you, you have HIPAA violations and all that, just so you know, I am going to tweak the stories a little bit, you know, change settings and, and, you know, not use your real name. I'm going to use pseudonyms. So there's no way of anybody tracking that this is you 
this is your story. So I definitely did that. I definitely got permission first. Um, I would say just to be safe, I would use a pseudonym, not just to protect yourself, but also protect your friend's identity Mm. as much as possible. Unless, I mean, that's, that would be my suggestion. Yeah. Um, you know, using a pseudonym, um, unless of course she's completely okay with it and absolutely wants her name used, but, um, but yeah, that's one thing you want to consider. And yeah, if, um, that's the one thing I'm happy about with uh, having a regular publisher versus self-publishing because, you know, I've, I kind of have a little bit more of that um, sense of security with the publisher that I can say, hey, listen, you know, is what I wrote in this book, is it anything that will get me or us in trouble? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice having that sense of security. Somebody to fall back on, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that's that was my concern with my I Love You Apu book. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, yeah, as far as writing the book, what I usually do with my books is uh, when I figure out what I'm going to write about, I kind of brainstorm all my ideas about how I'm going to write the book. And I basically write out an entire blueprint of how the book is going to be. So I basically know I break down the book into various chapters. I kind of know how it's going to start. I kind of have an idea of how it's going to finish. And I write down the names of every chapter that I want to put throughout the book. And I basically just fill in the blanks. And of course, I change things around the way. Okay, you know what? This chapter would sound better over here, or I, I want to add this or delete that. But that's how I usually do it with my book writing is I kind of compile all my information that I need. I organize it you know, chronologically or however I want to set the book and have an overall idea of how the book is going to go from beginning to end and I, then I basically just fill in the blanks and that usually has worked out the best for me um, and actually if you don't mind an issue I want to deal with right now is writer's block oh yeah and a, lot, a lot of people have writer's block and I mean I don't have really any magical formula on how to get rid of it but what I noticed with writer's block is um, sometimes I have it but I'll try to at least write a little bit, at least even if it's just like a couple of sentences or a paragraph. And if I can get at least that much done in one sitting, I've made at least a little bit of progress. And I've also noticed that once I start writing, the ideas actually will start coming out of nowhere. nowhere. Like I'll write a few sentences and I was like, you know what? That just gave me, gave me a few more good ideas and I'll end up writing several more you know, paragraphs or even pages. So that happens often. If I just can't get past that writer, writer's block, if I just can't come up with ideas i usually just take a break and put it aside and try to come back to it later yeah then i yeah and then i have those moments where i write and i the ideas are just pouring into my mind and i just write constantly during those moments and i take advantage of those moments like i take as much time as i can during that period to write as much as i can so that makes up for the times that I had severe writer's block and I just couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. I think that also setting realistic deadlines on yourself as well. So you're not necessarily pushing too pushing yourself too much. And, and mm-hmm. cause then the work suffers if you're just rushing it or pushing it or forcing some, some ideas or thoughts, I bet. Um, oh, sure. Absolutely. How, how would one find a publisher um, if they're just mm-hmm. starting out like Kate? Oh, sure. Um, and, that can be very difficult. Um, th- there are a lot of good self-publishing options now, like those um, print-on-demand style companies, mm-hmm. uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. I've had a few friends that have done that. That's a good option. 
Um, the good thing with that is like, it's kind of, it's, you don't have to, it's not that expensive as maybe like those traditional self-publishing companies of the past. Mm -hmm. But if you want to find a publisher, there's also, there's always the old school method of just constantly sending your manuscripts out there and hoping and praying that one of them reads them and, uh, picks you up. Um, how it worked out for me was that I was, you know, I was, I finally got a kick in the pants and said, Hey, dummy. You got to actually like get out there and talk about your book. Like, you know, so I, I got discouraged when I first started because I would do a, I would do like author events. And, you know, when you're you write a book and you're thinking, oh, man, you know, I'm going to set up shop and people are going to line up to see me and all that in bookstores or coffee shops, wherever. And, you know, it doesn't work out that way. You uh, people barely even notice you're there, you know, and it's it, that can be kind of discouraging. But eventually I had to. So for several years, I would say I didn't even promote my first book, hmm. but eventually I got a kick in the pants and I said, listen, you know, you have a lot of writing to do. You have to, you know, you got to get your book out there. You got to get, you know, so your other writing projects can, uh, flourish later on. So I started doing a lot of radio interviews as many as I could and tried to put on a lo- as many events as I could. And this, I think it was late in 2016, I was putting on an event with, uh, someone that's an idol of mine and um sorry my headphones fall out i don't know if you heard that part oh, you're fine <laughs> yeah um but so he was actually like um someone i looked up to just mainly because of his work ethic and just what he does on a regular basis so we actually and he was also an author too so we set up an event together um out in denver and um funny enough it, the guy was a former MMA fighter. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm not MMA, but I just uh, kind of respected him for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But so we were actually had a bar and, um, with, which a friend of mine set up cause he's really big into promotions. And he, one of his friends was a publisher who was also a fan of the person I was doing the event with. And we got to talking and, you know, we really hit it off and I gave him a copy of my old book and we kept in touch. He said, yeah, you know, let me know if you ever have any questions about writing or anything like that in the future. And at that time, I was also in the middle of writing my travel nursing book. Um, and kind of towards the middle to end of 2017, I reached out to him. and I said, you know, I have this book I'm working on. I would really love to publish it with you if you would accept it. And he said, yeah, yeah. You know, um, when you're almost done, send me uh, send me the manuscript and a summary and so on and so forth. And, and I did. And he accepted it, and that really, and you know, long story short, that's how I got my publishing contract. I just was kept putting myself out there, and I eventually was in the right place at the right time, and it worked out for me. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I so I turned in this book, and that so once this book came out, uh, I was really motivated. So I said, hey, you know, I gotta I gotta keep rolling. So I wrote crossing the bedside mm-hmm. um i don't i don't even remember how i came up with the idea but i was just on a roll so that's a great create, idea yeah the creativity con- can kind of strike yeah the concept yeah the concept of it is amazing i mean i think that it, it's a good glimpse inside what what you guys deal with on the day-to-day basis as healthcare mm-hmm. workers so i look forward to diving into that uh, a little bit deeper um so your latest publication is uh, I Love You, Apu, Defending a Stereotype. Um, mm-hmm. And just tell me a little bit about what inspired this other than um, the documentary that you saw. And uh, um, maybe share share a little bit of what it meant to you when this whole uh, Apu 
scandal hit the scene with with the Simpsons. Yep, and uh, this is where I got to give you guys the praise, right, Brandon? No, no not <laughs> at all. No. no, 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 no. It's true though. I um, I don't even remember. I, I I just remember it was. I think earlier this spring is when you guys were talking about the controversy, and I think I was in. I was yeah, I was in Southern California at the time, and um, I had just published Crossing the Bedside. And I was working on my other writings and I heard you guys talking about it. And I said, oh, this is interesting because the guy that made the kind of started the controversy, we were kind of the same age or very close to it. And so we would have dealt with a lot of the same things. And I was just thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. I mean, I don't ever remember being offended by a poo. I mean, yes, I, I took my share of teasing related to the character. Mm-hmm. It was even worse for me because you probably read in the book what my dad did. Mm-hmm. He was he owned his he owned a convenience store for eleven years, so it was you know I uh, he was living the stereotype. Sure, but um, I, but yeah, so I, I mean I remembered all that, and c- certainly I, hey, it it got annoying at times the the jokes and the teasing, but I don't ever remember being offended or thinking that Apu was a racist stereotype. So I kind of for whatever, I looked into it and then I kind of forgot about it for a little while. And then the story came up again at some point and I looked into it and I learned about the documentary. And I think you guys might might have mentioned that as well. Mm -hmm. So I I watched it and I admit I I enjoyed the documentary. It's short, sweet, gets to the point. And even though I disagreed with it, I enjoyed listening to Hari's perspective on things. So I actually thought, you know, let me reach out to Hari and kind of figure out what's going on. Let's him and I have a conversation, someone, you know, two people with similar backgrounds, but different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And his whole time in the documentary, you know, he's talking about how he wants to have a conversation with Hank Azaria about the whole issue. So I reached out to him on Twitter. I sent him a private message. Uh, a day or two later, I got I get this message saying uh, you are no longer allowed to send uh, this particular individual message, private messages. And I said, okay, wh- what does that mean? Does he have like, like, some an agent I- like protecting him through Twitter or something? I have no idea. And I said, hmm. uh, oh, okay. And I was asking a few friends, I'm like, does this mean that I was blocked or what? What does that mean? He said, yeah, that means you were blocked. Huh. I said, okay. I wow. said, okay. Um, and I was kind of reading the. I was kind of reading on Twitter like what it exactly means when, when this message shows up and they were just talking about the various things that it can mean. So I said, okay, well, apparently this guy does not want to have a conversation with me. Uh, it seems to me he just wants to whine and get get his way. So I said, well, okay, um, how can I get my – for some reason I really wanted to get my opinion out there and get my perspective because I felt I could really offer a counter argument to what – Hari Kondabolu, the guy that made the documentary, was saying. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know what? I'm a writer. I can actually write my own, my own little rebuttal to it. So that's what I did. And basically, I watched the documentary a couple of times. I got it to get a good idea of what Hari was talking about. And basically, I go throughout the whole documentary, discuss what Hari says, and then provide my own counter argument to why I do or do not disagree with what he you know, what he talks about. 
So yeah. that's basically how I love you, Apu, was born. And in chapter four, that's when you discuss your your attempt at interacting with Hari. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that he doesn't even entertain the conversation with you, even though the documentary itself was supposed to be the conversation starter, is really disconcerting. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, does he know that you've published this book? Have you tried reaching out to him again in other ways? Or have you sent him your book or anything? And have you heard uh, back? Um, I have not. And I mean, obviously, I, I can't reach out to him via Twitter, but I've been mainly I've been kind of, you know, being a creeper and trolling a lot of YouTube accounts and <laughs> social media posts and talking about it that way. Maybe word will get back to Hari mm-hmm. in that manner. Maybe he's listening to this. Maybe he'll listen to this podcast and maybe get the idea. Hey, he, he <laughs> might. You never know. Maybe we can have and, you guys throw down here on the podcast in the next episode. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad that you were able to to uh, to put it out and 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 put the counter argument out there because I, I agree with practically everything that you have to say, and I love Apu, and I think that stereotypes exist for a reason, um, but there was no harm in Apu, and I I think Apu is one of my favorite characters as well from The Simpsons, and it's a shame to see uh, to see that 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 the vocal minority has that much power to remove such an entertaining and endearing character, despite, I think we can all grow up a little bit and look past these little stereotypes that aren't harming anybody. Exactly. And, you know, in the end, how big of a deal is it really? I mean, if a poo were to go away, I mean, would that be such a big deal? Would we all die? No, I would eventually, of course I would move on to other things, but like you said, it's a, um, it kind of portrays a much bigger problem in society where people want to just kind of shout and cry and get their voices out there, but do not want to listen to any counter arguments Mm -hmm. and just want things to be done their way without any pushback whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I, and I know that you guys have been discussing a lot of different um, uh, societal issues that, are similar to this whole problem. So yeah, just look at the political system that we, that we talk about every day. Everybody, you have to either pick one side or you are against them. You know, it's, it's, it's taking my ball and going home on such a big scale that you don't even want to hear what anybody else has to say. And it's, it's a shame because I think we could do a a little bit better with each other. If we just had, if we listened to everybody and heard everybody out and had a, I don't know, adult conversation about things instead of being such babies about things. Uh, so. Definitely. And that's, that's all I ever wanted with uh, Hari. And, you know, my intention was never to insult him or insult his views or saying that his views aren't valid. I, I mean, he, like I said, he actually makes some good points in the documentary. I thought mm-hmm. I just wanted to have a conversation with him and kind of see if we can find middle ground or, you know, maybe we would talk to each other and neither one of us would budge, but hey, that's fine. I mean, yeah. we can have differing opinions. And I even praise them in the book. I encourage people to watch the documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I think other people will too. And, you know, get read my book, watch his documentary, get both of our perspectives and see where you fall. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, other projects in mind for the future? Do, is there anything you're working on right now? Oh, yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, actually, there's a lot of things. And the funny thing is that when this whole controversy really broke and I decided to write this book, I was actually in the middle of writing my horror novel. Horror novel? Yeah, so it's um, I, I, I was pretty close. I would say I'm about three-fourths of the way done with that one. That's really cool. 
Yeah, but um, God, and I was gonna start up again, but then all these other writing projects came to mind. Um, one of them's kind of a romantic thing. It's um, well, uh, it's gonna be kind of a surprise for my wife. It's kind of like a love. Um, it's kind of like uh, this love letter chronicle book where I kind of sum up our relationship throughout the years um, in love letters. That's um, really so, sweet. Yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to finish that by the end of this year and then send it to, to the publisher and it should be out in time for Valentine's Day is, is my hope. She doesn't listen to this podcast, right? Because yeah, no, I think the secret no. might be out now that you... <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no, she doesn't. Okay. Uh, um, but, um, but, you know, she knows I'm working on something secretive, but, you know. That's cool. Well, actually, no, actually, no, maybe she doesn't. But anyways, yeah, I, so I'm, th- that won't take me very long. It's pretty easy. Yeah. It's an easy book to write. But um, uh, another book, and this, I was actually, work, I'm working on the gold, this uh, super planner. You know those planners that come out um, that kind of like, they're kind of goal getter planners. They're, you can like write down not only your tasks for the day, but your goals and yeah. all, all this other, yeah, those uh, super com- planners. A company has been reaching out to me to try, and I'm, I'm sure this is just one of those spam email things. It's not like they're reaching out to me specifically, but, um, it's one of these super planner type books that, that mm. like kind of caters it to you yourself. And then they print it out and it's supposed to be driven or, or basically formulated to the way that you would normally use it as a planner. Um, so I, I went through the first step, which was asking me a bunch of personal questions. And then I kind of got, I, I lost interest because it was a little bit too involved, but I wonder if this mm-hmm. is something similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, possibly. And I wouldn't say it's so much individualized, but it's kind of a, it's, kind of related to that where I will make a super planner where each day um, you can you know you there's like a motivational quote you can write down not only your tasks for the day like the things you have to get done but also your goals for the day your your short-term goals long-term goals the steps the action steps you're going to take that day to reach those goals then also like your why you know meaning like why are you going after this particular goal so each day is going to be basically a page like that. So I'm hope, hoping to have that out, you know, middle of next year. So it'll be ready for 2020. Awesome. Um, one other book I'm working on and I, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to pull this off without, um, compromising things, mm-hmm. but, um, it's a, um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm really interested in interviewing, like not just the clan, but white supremacist groups in general. Oh. And really, and really getting like in depth into why their thought process, why they are the way they are. And I wanted to ask them like really direct questions, not just like, oh, why do you have your beliefs, but actually like <laughs> personal questions. Like, okay, any person in society could be a clan member; they don't have to disclose themselves. If I brought my car, if you were a mechanic and I brought my car into you, and you saw me as a minority, what would you do? Would you fix my car properly? Would you shoo me away? Would you do something to mess up my car? Sabotage like, would, it in some way. Ex- exactly. So I, I want to ask like direct questions like that. Interesting. And and I'm kind of trying to do it in a way that won't, like I said, won't compromise my, not just mine, but I mean my, any person I may be close to, their safety. I think it's great um, that you're all, that, that each one of your projects, aside from just a couple of your the, the books that you put out so far, 
are all on different subjects. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're, you're, not, I was got- you're not in any certain niche. You're, you're, you're all over the place. Oh, absolutely. And I, I was kind of getting worried, like, because my horror book is also kind of healthcare related. So I was thinking, oh, man, you know, am I going to be put in a pigeonhole here for the rest of my life? But no, it's, I've been get, able to get, you know, creative ideas somewhere else. Sure. And, and you know, that this actually brings me to the uh, thing we were talking about on the radio the other day uh, when I called in and was all secretive and conniving mm-hmm. for no reason. But no, there was actually a reason to it. And I asked you if you would like to be a part of one of my projects and uh, you, after a couple of emails back and forth, you graciously accepted and said you would be honored to be a part of it. I've never been in a book. I've never been, I've never been really interviewed for anything outside of this show. There's nothing, nobody's really cared what I've had to say. So um, it would be an absolute honor to be a part of any project that you have going on. And I guess it has something specifically to do with my lifestyle and my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, which I'm surprised, I mean, because you are pretty much a regional celebrity, I mean, in the Northern California, Northern Nevada, I'm sure very you get recognized all the time. Region, very small yeah. region, very small region. Yes, well, you know, <laughs> but I mean, you, I'm sure you get recognized constantly, and yeah. or you know, at least a good amount. Which is so. What was it like when you got recognized by a stranger for the first time? It was exciting, and yeah. I think that before before I got uh, really in depth with the rad radio show i was just doing promotion stuff and behind the scenes stuff and they were my my first on-air persona in radio was brando the intern mm-hmm. and i was literally running cds back and forth to be played on the air and i was i was not really doing anything um but i i was always affiliated with some of the djs that at the radio station i was working at and that one time that we were out that i wasn't working or anything and somebody yelled out brando the turn it, it felt really good and i'm not gonna lie it, it still feels really good but it's also still so surprising because the way that i look at it is i'm just doing something that i love and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to uh keep it going but you know I, I don't necessarily view myself as a celebrity i'm just kind of a normal everyday guy that that just happens to be employed by one of the coolest bosses and and have one of the coolest coworkers and uh, gets to do one of the best radio shows in town. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. It's not really. It's exciting still, but at the same time, it's surprising. I mean, what what I respect about you guys. One thing is that, I mean, first of all, it is so hard to you know get it, get to the top, and you know, you not only you guys, not only did you guys get there, but you've stayed there after all these years, and what a lot of people consider a dead industry almost. But it's like you guys are just you know, you're going so strong and, you know, it's, and I, and that's one thing I respect about you guys. And also you guys, the fact that you guys use your platform to help so many people in the community, like you've done in the past and even recently. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it definitely feels like the radio industry itself is kind of a a dying animal, but when you have the power of Mm -hmm. reaching so many people, and you utilize that power in a responsible and entertaining way, um, it really resonates with people. And I think that the organic type of uh, type of chemistry that we have as a show ha- that has permeated the airwaves for, for almost 20 years now, um, mm-hmm. through the various changes of the staff and everything, I mean, credit is really due to Rob and Don because they're, the, mm-hmm. they're the heart and soul of the operation. If they didn't 
keep up things going, if they didn't keep things going from uh, early on, then we wouldn't be here today. But I think now that we have this, the, the, the connection we have now with the lineup we have now is just, it's, it's palpably strong and, and it's amazing and it really resonates with people. And I think because we're real and because we don't necessarily put on any fake persona, sure, we exaggerate our personalities, but mm-hmm. they're just that. They're just exaggerations. It's not like we're we're putting on a face or an act to be who we who we think you want us to be. Instead, we're just being ourselves. And I think that that, that really resonates with people. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's actually what kind of brought you to my mind when I was thought about my next project and actually how it came about was um i was I, I was looking for writing pro like you know more freelance writing projects because i would eventually like to make this basically a full-time career where i can just write constantly mm-hmm. so i was online looking for some writing projects and i ca- you know i came across uh, uh this site that was um for out front magazine which is a LGBTQ magazine based out of Denver, Colorado. And I said, okay, this is interesting. And so I, um, so I looked into it. They were actually looking for people to write articles about the LGBT community, whether it was people or events, um, kind of in a positive nature. And I said, oh, you know, um, I've never, you know, obviously I'm not, um, you know, myself LGBTQ, but I've been a longtime supporter of the community and any member that may exist. And so I, you know, sent them, you know, a note saying and some writing samples that I've done. And they said, yeah, we would love to have you write for us sometime. And that kind of inspired me to say, hey, you know, it would be kind of a cool project to write about prominent people of the LGBT community, both in the past and present. And I just started thinking of a lot of people. My publisher, for example, is, you know, openly gay. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just thinking about other people that I could get. I mean, obviously I know who I would just be hard to contact people and, you know, convince them to be in a book with little old me. Sure. (laughs) But, but, um, well, yeah. And I was thinking, and I actually, because like you said, you guys are in a lot of ways open about your personal lives to a certain degree and very honest. I recalled times in the past where you were open about your bisexuality. And so, so I said, okay, well, you know, and Brandon, I mean, you're a very strong contributing member of society. You, you know, you're part of a very successful radio show. I mean, you, you, you have all these other successes in life, and I'm sure you have a very interesting story. So that's what I thought about at that time. And I was like, huh, you know, I could, I was going to write an email to the show. And I said, well, you know, I don't know if it's going to get read or, uh, or when, because I know it ha- you guys get thousands of emails and it goes through a long filtering process. Mm-hmm. So I just said, you know, hey, you know, I got some time. I'm off Tuesday. I'll try to see if I can give the show a call. And so I did. And that's the writing project we were discussing. It's basically, you know, members of the LGBTQ community that have, you know, contributed positively to the world and, um, you know, have led interesting lives. And I'm hoping with this book that. You know, I can only do so much, but hopefully remove a lot of the stigma that may still surround um, surround the whole LGBTQ community and mm-hmm. anything related to it. So I'm at, I want to thank you for, you know, being so gracious and generous with your time and willing to be a part of it. Absolutely. I mean, if you have any, do you, you want to ask me the questions now or do you 
do you want to do you want to save it for another time? Um, oh, sure. I, I mean, I, I'm open. I'm open. Hit giggity. I'm open to uh, <laughs> going either way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I heard you are. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, actually, I can. I have my little notebook. I did jot down some notes just okay. for this special occasion. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's see. So, and yeah, your now last name is pronounced pronounced angel right correct okay perfect yeah cool angel all right so how old were you when you realized you were bisexual that's a good question um i think i always kind of knew from a young age but it wasn't because i i I saw friends or or people uh like like friends or, or guy friends that i was hanging out with and go oh yeah he's cute I just kind of always, I, I kind of always had this idea or or thought in my mind that I, I was open to um, seeing everybody in a, in the same way. It wasn't like I was going, well, I think I'm attracted to Susie, but Bobby over there is really attractive too. Um, I think I've always been kind of a one love type of personality. Um, but when I think I've fully became aware of my sexuality was I, I was a young teenager when mm. there was a friend of mine that, that I, we kind of grew closer together in a friendship and, and we, we decided we'd try um, experimenting in certain ways. And I, I didn't really know what to make of it at the time because at that age, I didn't know what bisexuality was. I didn't know what, what really gay being gay meant either. I just kind of looked at it as, well, we have this connection and we have these feelings. Why don't we just try it out? And I kind of uh, pushed it down for many years until I was in my mid-20s. And it wasn't because I didn't think I would be accepted. It's just I didn't think I was ready to accept it myself. I would seek out people to talk to. I'd, you know, I'd look online and I'd I'd find guys that were like-minded like me and kind of just start conversations through chat rooms and things like that. And, um, you know, I would have, I, I would have, I'd meet up with people and, and it wasn't like, you know, I was out there looking for sex with guys. It was just more of just trying to connect with, with what I was feeling and thinking at the time. And, uh, even in the early, when I was in my early twenties, I was working for, um, I was working for the show and, the rad radio show at that time was not very open to people like me that were open-minded and, and it wasn't as well accepted. In fact, people were mocked for like people who are bisexual or had different tastes or were open-minded were openly mocked. And it was hard for me to even kind of be myself out in the open. And I'm not going to lie. It still kind of is like, I feel like I'm kind of a bad bisexual because I'm not, wearing my bi pride pen pin. I'm not, um, going out to the rallies and, and, you know, raising support for people like me. Um, I feel like there's a lot more qualified people to do that for me. And I know that that's, that's probably not the way to think. Um, but I I guess I'm still seeking my vocal, uh, uh, strength in, in what I am. Fortunately, uh, five years ago, I, I met my uh, wife and, 
at the time when we were when we were dating, I made it very loud that I was bisexual and she not only accepted it, she encouraged it. She she thought, well, this is it's great that you're so self-aware. Um, and she thought it was such a shame that I was shoving it down for so long and kind of hiding it and acting like kind of living this double, double life, um, by some people knowing and, and most people not, uh, specifically the ones that are so close to me, uh, it gave me the strength to, to kind of be more outspoken. And there were some changes in the show, uh, with the rad radio show that I was finally comfortable enough to be open about it and talk about it. And it was uh, it was a very big turning point. In fact, the the day that I mentioned it on the on the radio was the first time I think I was openly honest with myself outside of the 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 house that I was living in with my my then girlfriend now wife. Um, and it was met with an outpouring of love and support, and not one person that I knew said anything negative about what I had said or what I had confessed. And it was, it was surprising. And, uh, quite frankly, it, it felt really good. Um, but still like, I think that was about four or five years ago that I made that announcement. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of mentioned briefly here and there, um, throughout my daily life, but it's never like a topic of conversation when I'm with friends or anything. There might be a joke, a little slight of like, oh, yeah, you go both ways. But it, it's just not it, it's not that big a part of me that needs to be talked about all the time. So I think that's why it's a little uncomfortable for me to be like out and proud and 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 mm-hmm. waving my flag every single day because it's something that's a part of me. But it's also something that's personal that I don't necessarily feel the need that I need to uh shout it from the rooftops and force people to recognize that that's who I am because I'm secure enough with it being just my thing and, and it being my thing with my wife or my thing with the small little community of people that, uh, that know um, that now that community is not so small that I made it so public, but um, yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I kind of went on a little tangent there. No, that's why I knew. No, it was a lot of great information. And I, but, but I mean, you're talking about how it, you know, not, not shoving it down people's throats and, you know, being, you know, out and loud about it, which I mean, some people are, which is also fine. It's fine to be proud of who you are. But I think overall, the way you're doing it, just, you know, talking about it and being open and honest and just being yourself, I think it helps the community in general receive it better. And I think the fact that people knew you as a real person on the radio, even though they may not have met you, you know, they felt a close connection Um, because people feel that way with you guys. And once they got to know you and then realized, hey, you are also bisexual, and when they heard that, they're like, hey, uh, okay, well, it doesn't change my opinion about him. He's still the good guy that I knew prior. So I think the way you did it was almost perfect. Um, Yeah, and I think think that 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 is the one takeaway that I've, I've noticed since announcing it is that nobody really treats me any differently and I don't expect anybody to treat me any differently. I haven't noticed any prejudice or anything, you know, guys that I, that I know aren't trying to keep distance from me because they might think that I make a move on them. Um, there's nothing like that. And it's, it's just, 
to me, I feel like sexuality and, and the, the acceptance of people who choose to live alternative lifestyles, open marriages, things like that, it's becoming a little bit more normal and it's becoming a little bit easier for us to at least have the conversation and it, it being as accepted, um, which I think is a lot of the sign of the times and a lot of uh, just the kind of the, the cultural shift and societal shift that we're taking, despite how and how it might feel like there's a bunch of animosity around us. I think as a community, as us as a human race, I think there's something really positive happening that's allowing people like me just to live their lives without um, any sort of animosity or, or uh, prejudice. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we always hear about the whole, you know, the liberal side's more gay friendly, the conservative side isn't, but I've actually found throughout the years, but that, um, you know, a lot of people that, have more, you know, conservative mindsets, they, they still, you know, support things like, you know, gay marriage and gay rights, things like that, or various lifestyles, as long as it kind of doesn't, I mean, that's not always the case. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but it seems like, uh, you know, the more and more you meet various people, uh, the more and more you realize, you know, they don't think too differently from you on a lot of various topics like this. Right. Yeah. But, but, but you know, you kind of touched on this already, Brandon, but actually, one of the questions I had later was, you know, like effects on your career and you kind of touched on this on it earlier, but just kind of tell me, um, you know, whatever you feel comfortable talking about how it, you know, various effects on your career that, you know, your bisexuality, whatever you called it may have had during those times. Um, it, it was when, when I, fortunately, because I have a, of a, a public platform that I was able mm -hmm. to, to kind of make that announcement it it took care of a lot of of different um, people finding out. It was almost like a clearinghouse. Everything must go, and this information just had to go. And you know, fortunately, the business that I work for is so tight knit that mm -hmm. um, it, it didn't affect it at all. Like, honestly, it, I haven't been treated any differently. I haven't been given any special treatment. Um, and and Rob, the leader of the show, was actually proud of me for for even having the balls to even say it. Um, I don't think that he had any suspicions that I was bisexual before I even announced it. Um, so I think it was surprising to a lot of people on the inner circle. Um, but once it was out there, it was out there, and it was fine. And to be honest, I don't think that it had had any major effects on me um, within the industry. I, I know a handful of people that I still kind of work with. Fortunately, we don't have to associate ourselves with a lot of the business side of, of, uh, of, of radio because Rob has allowed us to have our own building and, and we work on our own company. We don't necessarily work for any other company, but our own. So we just kind of focus on our own thing. And, um, so I'm not working with anybody directly that, that I would feel any, any difference of opinion or, or any contention with, uh, based on my lifestyle or my choices. And it's just been met with nothing but love and acceptance. Uh, no, that's wonderful. And um, do you think, I know I know it's impossible to really say for sure, but when you, um, you know, opened up about it on the radio, the fact that so many people, you know, in Radioland already knew, knew kind of knew you um, on a personal level, even if they hadn't met you, like, do you feel that that may have, even help change some people's minds and like that people or, or at least people that may have been on the 
fence about it. I mean, I know it's probably impossible to really hmm. say for sure, but do you think that's a possibility? I hope so. Is my yeah. is my thinking? If if my uh, if my outing myself and being true to myself and 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 saying something more, it, yes, I I do feel like it it could have more of a positive impact than a negative. In fact, there there are a couple of listeners that um, were in kind of a similar situation that I was and knew that they were bisexual, but never really talked about it. Never really. Uh, embraced it. And um, it wasn't until weeks or months later after this announcement that I made that they were actually thanking me for, for, for being a voice for somebody like them. And, and they were able to come out to their family, which was huge. Like that's not even anything that I've ever actually had to do because I could just sit here on the radio and, and then I could call up my family and say, did you hear the show today? Oh yeah, and they they said, "Oh, that's nice. You know, good for you." My, my family is very accepting and, and loving of who I am and what I choose. They pretty much just let me do whatever I want, which is nice. But, um, sure. uh, but so to 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 know that I made a big enough impact to other individuals to be able to be comfortable enough with who they are to actually have the discussion with their family and and be true to themselves is is I mean I'm it makes me feel like what I'm doing is, is actually doing some good. And I think that that, that in its in of itself is, uh, is worth everything is, is the reason why I do what I do is if I can help somebody become more self-aware and be a better, better person individually, then, then I can sleep good at night. Oh, definitely. And, and the fact that, like you said, you guys are kind of, re- you know, you're regional celebrities where you are. And the fact that, you know, People, you know, of course, people kind of put you on a on a pedestal as they actually do with celebrities. But then, when you guys open up about your personal lives the way you do, I think it really helps people kind of open their minds and become more accepting of a lot of people that that they may not have been accepting of. And I think also just helps people connect to their own demons a little bit better, knowing that you know they're not the only ones facing them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you guys have callers that call in and discuss the issues that they have and it helps people realize that hey you know these are some of the things i'm dealing with i'm not all alone in this world and i think and i think you guys really have to someone has to really listen to your guys' show several times kind of like you know similar with apu you have to watch him throughout multiple episodes to really get a good idea of who apu is yeah. the same with you guys you know you guys if you listen to your guys' show for several segments or several several episodes you really get an idea of like the overall, you know, deepness of the show that you guys are, yeah, you guys can be telling dick and fart jokes one minute. You're, you know, talking someone out of suicide the next, you know, talking about entertainment the next. And, you know, it's just like, I mean, you're one of the few, if any shows I know of that can actually do that naturally and, you know, without missing a beat. It's, it's a bl- pretty, cr- it's a blessing to, to have the platform for us to be genuine people and connect with, genuine people without putting an act on or, or, or doing it just for the ratings. I'm not going to lie. We do it for the ratings because the ratings pay the bills, but it just so happens that we're able to be ourselves and be true to who we are while, uh, while reaping the rewards from, from that type of connection and that type of loyalty we have with our, with our, uh, fan base. Um, there, there's nothing that compares to it. I I've yet to, 
meet anybody who has something something like we do, or I've never I, I I've traveled plenty of places to experience radio shows that that try to do what we do and they just can't even touch it. And I honestly think that it has something to do everything to do with the fact that we have this chemistry with our team and uh, and us as individuals. So it's it's very nice of you to recognize that. Oh, absolutely, and and you know, I, I know it took me, you know a couple of years of listening, you know, back in the late nineties and early two thousands before I really got a good idea of what your show was about. And, you know, and, but yeah, but anyway, speaking of the, you know, the connection you guys have with your audience, how, um, when you opened up on the radio about your bisexuality, um, and I, I kind of remember, I remember it was a few years, a couple of years back, but, um, did you, was that a, planned thing or was that one of those things that naturally came out when you um based on whatever topic you were discussing on the show at the time i think it was a segment where somebody was uh somebody had emailed the show asking for advice on uh uh sex sex advice and that 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 was involving uh somebody like me who who wanted to um, kind of open up their bedroom to the possibility of having a threesome. And I think it was a gentleman who uh, wanted to present the idea to his uh, girlfriend or wife. I'm not quite sure what. Um, but it was very similar to the situation that I was kind of going through at that time because my uh, then girlfriend, now wife, was uh, we were both kind of exploring this together. Um, so it was completely unplanned, totally natural. I just, it just happened to be the right place and the right time, um, that I was able to just give my opinion on what could help that individual, uh, bring the idea to fruition and, and, and what kind of, you know, advice I could give specifically to that person while simultaneously finally admitting, well, yeah, my wife and I both like to, um, have a guy join us every once in a while, um, and oh yeah, by the way, I'm bisexual. And wow. because it, it, I think it was a follow-up question from Rob who said, well, you guys invite a guy in to, to join you for, you know, maybe some threesome, uh, interactions, but is it just your wife that, or your girlfriend that's, uh, that's, that's messing around with him or you? And I, you know, I kind of did that whole side, uh, you know, head to the side thing. Well, in fact, and I, I do like to dabble with the guys, and so that's kind of how it naturally came out. And we we dove into it a little bit more, and I got into a little bit more detail. But um, yeah, so it was completely natural, totally unplanned, and it just happened to be the right place and the right time. Oh, that's amazing! And it so it just came out so naturally, and it's. I mean, it seems like the advice you were able to give at that time based on personal experience really helped that individual, um, you know, with his whole issue and, or at least maybe figure out a better way to approach it, you know, based on your own experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's definitely been some follow-ups, uh, over the years that, that people have been seeking advice for. And, and like those other listeners that I had mentioned that were able to, uh, come out to their family, like it, 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 it resonates not just in the moment, but over time too. So, um, at the, in that moment, it really worked out and I, I was nervous as hell, but mm-hmm. it, it felt good. It almost felt like a weight had been lifted and I could just kind of, um, not wear a costume anymore and, and just be myself. Um, yeah, so it, it really worked out. 
Well, that is crazy. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a storybook, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically like a storybook. I mean, you <laughs> such such is my like life and career, man. It's always yeah, like, like you like, said well, with your with your publishing uh, contract and everything. It's just being at the right place and the right time. Uh, yeah, and and having the talent too, but you know that who you know and right place and right time is all about. It's synchronicity, in my opinion. It, there's there's certain things that happen for a reason, and when you can get into that, uh, when you get that that rhythm of synchronicity, then then things go your way. Yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, and obviously it was very cathartic for you at, in that moment. And I mean, did you did you have the perception at the time that hey, um, I'm uh, I'm kind of opening up right now, and it's going out to you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, did, did, did that thought go through your mind during oh, that yeah. moment? Oh yeah. In oh, the wow. moment. Wow. And while I was, while I was admitting, admitting it, I was, the only thing I could think about was, okay, I'm going to get mocked. I'm, some people are going to make fun of me. I'm going to walk outside and cause I, I was bullied pretty hard as a kid and I never really oh, fit wow. in. Um, so that, that thought of always kind of being a target, it was always on my mind and still kind of is, but you know, as you get older, you, you become more self-aware and um, it's easier to not be so paranoid that, that other people are judging you. But um, it definitely was a little nerve wracking. And I, I thought in the moment, I thought, Oh crap, I'm just going to get so much flack for this. People aren't going to accept me for, for who I am. People are going to make fun of me. So yeah, it was, it was absolutely nerve wracking in the moment. But as soon as I got the emails and texts and messages from, from not only loved ones, but friends and, and, uh, and family members and listeners, the support was overwhelming. So all those nerves were pretty much squelched right away. Well, I mean, so many people that are afraid to come out of the closet, they're hearing you in that moment and they realize, you know, wow, they're not alone in that moment. They, you know, there's somebody that they may even know personally or have a personal connection with like you. I mean, you know, we're not too much different. So, I mean, I think it was really eye-opening and really helpful to those individuals as well. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a... I don't want to say that I got it easy, but I feel like I did because not every person who decides to be um, true to themselves or admit to, to being lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, questionable, they don't they're not every one of them are going to be met with such love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I feel very lucky in that sense because I don't I don't know the opposite of that. I, 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 I'm fortunate and I'm glad that I don't know that, but at the same time, I feel like I got it so easy that, um, like, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve it, you know? And I, I don't know if that's, be, that's why I'm still kind of like, I don't really wear the pride of being bisexual on, on my pins or, or wave the flags. Um, but I'm accepting and I'm loving of all people. And I, and I hope I, I would, I would hope that anybody that is wanting to be out and proud will be met with the same type of love and compassion, but that's not the reality of things. And, and I, I understand that everybody has their own um, challenges, but I, I felt like I just got it easy. Sure. Sure. And I mean, it kind of is similar to my story in the fact that I, I mean, I've certainly, I mean, like I mentioned before, I, 
took my share of teasing related mm-hmm. to Apu. Mm-hmm. I certainly dealt with my share of prejudice, uh, but I don't, I don't feel, and I, it, it may have just been I was naive to certain things when I was younger, or maybe it's the way I carried myself. I, um, but I don't recall any like really horrible experience that I've had with racism. I mean, like I've never been like assaulted or, you know, treated horribly. I mean, it's always it's hard to tell unless someone's very blatant about it. Mm-hmm. If someone treats you poorly, is it because they're racist or, or are they just being a jerk? It's really hard to tell. But I mean, I'm kind of similar to you in that sense. I don't recall any horrible moments in my life where I was really a strong victim of racism. And I wonder if a lot uh, of that has to do with our outlook, too. I, I wonder if that yeah, that, sure, that speaks sure. to our character that. We don't necessarily let those things get into our world um, because, you know, maybe maybe that's why we were teased a little bit and and picked on growing up. It was just teaching us that the world is kind of a dark place and you're not always going to be accepted for who you are or what you look like or, or any choices that you make. But as long as you stay true to yourself and you have your own outlook and your own perception of what the world, what you want your world to be, then it won't affect you as negatively. Uh, definitely well said um well said and yeah i mean it's yeah and i've always pretty much had a positive outlook on life and you know like i said i i've certainly been the victim of prejudice or racism um and you know my dad has claimed that he was held back at times because of race uh and that's always a possibility i don't know my dad's experience oh and he's an older generation and it and you know his his time was probably even harder Sure, absolutely. And, you know, there's, and I don't, I just feel that there's, obviously there's stereotypes, and there's different stereotypes based on different minorities, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I feel that the vast majority of stereotypes related to Indian people are not usually negative. <laughs> that's kind of been my experience. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's just kind of, seems like that's how it is yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean i i've just felt that way but but like i said yeah i've um i've certainly uh, uh, you know i have a very unique name and mm-hmm. you know i i don't remember any other indian person being in my grade in elementary school so i always i never felt like i truly fit in but as i got older i realized that other kids felt the same way for their own reasons yeah like absolutely. you like you just mentioned mm-hmm. and you know you mentioned um so you mentioned your bullying in um, school, but um, I actually wanted to touch on that too. Do you now? Of course, there's not everybody follows the stereotypes, but there's certain stereotypes related to gay people that mm-hmm. exist. Do, do you feel that any of the teasing that you received was related to the fact that people may have thought you were, or may have either known or thought that you were gay, or? part of that community like actually all lgbtq yeah no whatever i i don't think so i think i think it was just because i was an easy target and i see you know i was kind of just a meek pipsqueak type of kid that never really fit in band geek not into really too many sports until later on in my my schooling career so it was like it was just because i was an easy target and it was a small town small school everybody knew everybody and, uh, I, you know, I, I was called the gay F word that rhymes with uh, Bob Saget's last name a lot. Sure. 
But I don't think that that's because they thought, well, Brandon probably likes to put penises in his mouth. It wasn't, it wasn't like right. that. Um, so it was just kind of, it was kind of a, um, just, a, just a tough time growing up. And I think that that's because I had a hard time sticking up for myself. I had a hard time finding my own voice. Um, and I, I didn't really have a big clique of friends. I wasn't the popular kid. I, I really was not very social growing up. So yeah, I, I think it was just because I was an easy target and I don't think it had anything to do with my sexual preference. And at that time, uh, you know, being a teenager through the late nineties, early two thousands, the transition of, of, uh, acceptance of, of, of gay people, lesbians, um, or, you know, the LGBTQ community was, was really just starting to ramp up at those times. Um, and it, and it, it just was, it wasn't a thing that really affected me because I, I was still unsure about what I wanted or what I, what I identified as, as I was growing up. It, it really seems like kind of people in our age group, we were kind of like right there on the, on the dividing line of a lot of things like, cause as kids, we still played outside. We went to school without computers <laughs> yeah. until we were, it was like later on in school. Mm-hmm. And so it, it almost seems like we were really on the, I mean, I guess you could say that probably about most generations, maybe most, I'm sure generation X and whoever yeah. looks at their lives and says that they were kind of a, you know, a transition period between two eras. So, but I don't know, it just, I'm, I'm just thinking about our time growing I do, up and it, yeah. I do feel like we were on the fringe, especially mm-hmm. because of technology. I mean, social sure. media was, is really one of the, the most monumental changes in the way that humans interacted and we were right there in the middle of it as, you know, as we progress from teenagers to adults it, and it was right there in the middle of it. So I think that we absolutely saw things from two different angles going, going to school and, and playing outside and not having devices strapped to our hips uh, mm-hmm. all day and not having that direct line of communication with people and jumping to conclusions and jumping to uh, uh, stereotypes and, and jumping to uh, judgments on other people really didn't come about until early 2000s, mid, mid 2000s. And I think that uh, we absolutely were at a very different fringe uh, cusp of, of, of that shift. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. A true transition period, I think from yeah. the technological age, from the non-technological age to the technological age, so to speak. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, really, thank you for all this wonderful information and all your and sharing all of your stories. I hope I didn't ask you anything too personal. And no, no, I, that... I, I, I really appreciate you sharing all this. And I, you know, and I know you don't really know me, but I appreciate you being so generous with your time and willing to be a part of this project. I really hope that in its own way can kind of provide a voice for a lot of people out there, a, you know, a strong voice for, you know, a really a stigmatized community still. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to help. And I hope that at least some of it was interesting enough to be included in your project. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't really have too hard of a time. Uh, it, just, it was a matter of time. It, it wasn't like I, I struggled or had anything oppressing me from being who I was, you know, there, there are certain societal stigmas that kind of were towards, uh, the, the moment that I did finally come out, but it was just a, a matter of time for me. It wasn't anything or anybody that was holding me back other than myself. And uh, so I hope that whatever type of, whatever information I have given is, has been helpful 
in the least. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think the biggest thing with your story is the fact that when you first opened up, you opened up to a large number of people. And it's just, you know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you got you were with a very supportive environment at that time is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think it I'm hoping it helps to educate others that um, that may have either friends or family that are, you know, LGBT or Q. And um, hopefully it'll, you know, give them that, you know, basically let them know that, hey, you know, it's important to be supportive of people that are different are, so you know, so to speak, different from you and you know, they're not bad people. They just have different lifestyles. And I think the fact that, you know, your story about opening up on air and it going out to the masses the way it did and the courage you showed during that time process is really going to inspire a lot of people. I I hope that it inspires people just to finally take that leap to be themselves because it is so freeing to, to, to not just say it out loud, but to be to say it out loud to yourself and, and know, yeah, this, this is who I am and I'm okay with that. And people are okay with that around me and, and I could just live my life. And it kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's maintaining your, your, your soul. It, it's keeping you in check with who you are. And, um, I, I think that often, pe- oftentimes people lie to themselves too much just to save appearances and, 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 uh, be accepted by people, but sometimes you don't want to be accepted by some people because they're assholes. And yeah. if they're assholes, they don't belong in your life. And if you want to be true to yourself and people don't accept you for that, then they don't, they don't, they don't need to be in your life. So I think that as long as people stay true to themselves and they'll get the most out of their lives. Oh, absolutely. And is that the, cause my next question was going to be, what advice would you give to someone that comes up to you and ask, you know, um, how do I open myself up to, other people with that is that the advice you'd mainly give them you know just open up and you'll be free and if people don't accept you then it's on them i think yeah i think open up at your own time and your own when you mm-hmm. with your own comfort level open up and but open up to yourself first look inside mm-hmm. look in your heart and and look inward and and take that time to focus on who you really want to be and who you are and as long as you're not hurting anybody and you're not hurting yourself then then be loud and proud. And if you don't want to be loud, but you want to be proud, mm-hmm. like kind of like me, I'm not really that loud about it. But sure. if you want to be proud about it, then do it. It's 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 about being true to yourself. That's my best advice. Oh, absolutely. No, and that's great advice. And I'm, you know, really glad that you're able to share your story with so many people. And if actually if you could do me a favor, sure. If you could give a message to Dawn for me. Yes, I will uh, pass what, along a message. Sure. I mean, one of the things I wanted to thank her for was, um, you know, as I mentioned, growing up, there just weren't a lot of Indian people around me. Um, I was never really proud of my heritage. I was always kind of sometimes even embarrassed by it. It was just my own insecurities at the time. But, you know, as I've grown older and I've seen how um, integrated the Indian culture and how accepted even it's become in not just American society, but around the world, I mean, yoga, for example, I mean, Indian food, Indian culture has just become so welcomed and loved by, um, you know, the world. I, I was reading somewhere not too long ago that I think Bollywood videos are like some of the most downloaded YouTube videos mm-hmm. out there. That's what I've heard, so that's, too. Yeah, that's pretty insane. And, mm-hmm. you know, almost any festival you go to, 
um, you know, they have a stand doing henna tattoos, which is huge in um, Indian culture. So that's it's kind of cool to see how much Indian culture has really integrated itself into American society. But mm-hmm. anyways, where, where I was going with that is um, I just want to thank Don for um, being so kind with their words towards Indian people. Just the fact that when I hear things like, you know, in that how much she loves Indian people and how you know, they're, we're generally known for our work ethic and contributing members of society and all that. When she says stuff like that, it makes me proud of my culture. Oh, that's too. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's not something, I, it's not something I always was growing up. Probably just a probably I would say probably sometime in the last decade is when I really started having a lot more pride in my heritage and what my parents went through and what they did. I always was kind of confused and sometimes, sometimes even angry with it, but mm. I've really come to realize, you know, just how special my heritage is to me and, you know, just things like that really make it easier to accept. So maybe hearing Dawn's voice, uh, somebody that's not necessarily embroiled in the, in the culture, but hearing mm-hmm. her perspective from it is, is giving you a little bit of clarity and, and uh, a little bit more pride. And I, yeah, I will absolutely pass that along to Dawn. Oh, absolutely. No. And again, you know, and, um, and if you don't mind, um, like we were talking about before, if uh, if any members of your audience um, that are either you know part of the LGBT or Q community, mm-hmm. or they know somebody that is, and you f- they feel that they have a positive story that they can share and would want to be a part of my book, our our book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to call it our book now. Um, <laughs> the because um, you know, hey, it's all of ours books. Yes, it is. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so um, if they want to be a part of it, definitely reach out to me. Um, you know, I can tell them my website, which is my full name. It's um, ankitshukla.org. Um, and you can access all my social media accounts and also my personal email from there. Um, so if you feel that uh, you would want to be part of this book, just kind of put in the subject, you know, LGBTQ book. So I know that it's not just uh, I'm really bad about erasing emails. I'm real. I really got to get those organized. So if I see that subject headline, at least I'll be able to know what it's about. And if I don't answer, respond, you know, just keep emailing me until I do. Okay. Um, I'm okay with that. And really, if if anybody that's listening to this would think they want to take part in it or know somebody that does, you know, definitely um, reach out to me. I would love to hear from all of you. I will absolutely uh, put your contact information, at least your website on the episode notes of this particular episode and uh, make sure that uh, everybody can find a way to reach out to you, if not to be involved in our book, but also Mm -hmm. to to get in touch with you or to uh, get any of your other uh, previous publications, because I'm sure that anybody who's listened this far is very interested in you and your story and what you have to say. So um, I'm very grateful for this time that we've had today on Kit. And uh, I, I look. I hope that this is the beginning of of many other conversations because I think we have a lot in common, and I think you're a great great person. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, likewise, Brandon. Hey, like I said, um, if you're a, and I don't mean to, I know you, I don't mean to sound like too much of a creeper, but if you're <laughs> if you're ever in Colorado and we're there at the same time, definitely look me up. We can uh, show you some sites, and uh, yeah, you know, that, I would love to. That yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, thank you so much for the interview and your time. And I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't babble on too much. No, this was perfect. <laughs> I'm not keeping you from anything, right? 
Oh uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm you're not, you're not, you're not expected at the nurse at the nurses station at this time. Oh uh, nope, nope. I actually okay. worked uh, this morning, so I'm good to go. Oh good, good. All right, good. well, uh, let's uh, let's call it a day, and I think uh, I think we did a great job here. Again, thank you so much. Sure, no problem. All right, have a good evening, man. All right, you too. Thank you. Thank you. The Rad. Broadcast.